It's time to set out on the pathway to healing and light. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. If you have questions or concerns about your faith journey, if you are struggling or searching for something more, if you are in need of some spiritual direction, our Catholic priests are here to help. One heart at a time. Welcome to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Hey, thanks for tuning in to this Thursday edition of The Inner Life, our spiritual direction program here on Relevant Radio. I'm Josh Raymond, and glad to have you along for the hour. And what, what kind of face do you have? <laughs> may, may sound a little funny, but, but really, what kind of face do you have? Do you have a happy face? Do you have a nervous face? Is your face regularly sad or maybe angry? Or do you have a peaceful face or a kind face? You know, our brains are wired to not only see the emotions in the faces of other people, but we even see faces where there's not actually a face. If you end up looking at the front of a car where there are two nice round headlights and the bumper stretches across below those lights, well, it's very common for us to see, very natural for us to see two eyes and a mouth where those headlights and that bumper are. This is a phenomenon that's called facial pareidolia. Facial pareidolia. Scientists have been studying this for decades, how we see faces in non-living, inanimate objects. And the research of facial pareidolia, it's found that not only do we see faces in everyday objects, but our brains even process those objects looking for emotional expressions, much like we do with human faces. And the theory behind this behind our ability to see faces in so many places or in different objects. It's thought to be a result of the need, especially uh, when we were more maybe tribal or a, you know, uh, kind of transitioning into an agrarian society. We needed to be able to judge whether a person is a friend or if they're not so friendly, and we need to be on our guard. And so that's why your brain is wired if you're eating a bowl of cereal and two of the Fruit Loops, they float up to the top of the bowl. And they're in that upper half of the milk. And the remaining Fruit Loops, they make a line down there in the bottom of a bowl. Again, you see that face. You see two eyes. And you see this line that's a mouth. And if the line of the Fruit Loops, if, the, the, if it's turned up, that mouth, then your cereal is smiling. It's happy. If it's straight, your breakfast is serious. And if the line happens to be turned down, then your cereal is sad or it's upset. And we impose those emotions onto that face, you know. What did you do to make your cereal so miserable? So our brains, they're wired to see these faces everywhere, to recognize faces that we've seen before. That's another part, that we recognize those faces that we've seen before, to be able to distinguish between very slight differences. And that's why if you've ever known a set of identical twins, or maybe even triplets, after you spend enough time around them, they start to look more and more unique. The first time you meet them... It might be nearly impossible to tell them apart, but spend a couple of weeks getting to know them and those twins after that time, especially if you get to know one over the other, you can't help but recognize and see how different both of them appear. Those similarities all of a sudden are not so similar anymore. Other faces become recognizable to us because of their association with something particular. Take, for instance, the face of George Washington. 
We see him all the time on the $1 bill, but his face, it doesn't just represent himself or it doesn't just represent a $1 bill. It also represents the United States as a whole the history of our country's war for independence, the founding of our governmental system, him being that very first president. Other people have similarly become the face of something, of other things, of products or movements or other sorts of of, uh, things that we have in our society. Colonel Sanders, if you see his face, well, you think of Kentucky Fried Chicken. Steve Jobs, He was the face of Apple. Martin Luther King Jr., another one, the face of the civil rights movement. For us as Catholics, Pope Francis, he's the face of the Catholic Church. One other face that I think is so recognizable, I'm sure you do too, it's a face that became the face of care, of love, of kindness, of charity. That's the face of Mother Teresa, now St. Teresa of Calcutta. It's hard for me to picture that lovely, wrinkled old face of Mother Teresa without also picturing her hands stretching out to take the hands of someone who is sick or hungry. And usually it's just with such love and care and even a smile on her face, care in her eyes. Mother Teresa, she shared that love of Christ with everyone she encountered. And she saw Jesus in the faces of those she helped. I'd like to take a moment and share with you some of the words that she has said on being loving, on being charitable to those in need. Mother Teresa, she told us, do not think that love, in order to be genuine, has to be extraordinary. What we need is to love without getting tired. Here's another one. She said, let us not be satisfied with just giving money. Money is not enough. Money can can be got but they need your hearts to love them. So spread your love everywhere you go. Here's a simple one from her. Uh, This one is right to the point. If you judge people, you have no time to love them. Mother Teresa also spoke about poverty differently than you might expect. She said, being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everybody, I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. And she kind of continued that theme and expanded on it later, again saying, the greatest disease in the West today is not tuberculosis or leprosy. It is being unwanted, unloved, and uncared for. We can cure physical diseases with medicine, but the only cure for loneliness, despair, and hopelessness is love. There are many in the world who are dying for a piece of bread, but there are many more dying for a little love. The poverty in the West is a different kind of poverty. It is not only a poverty of loneliness, but also of spirituality. There's a hunger for love as there is a hunger for God. St. Mother Teresa, she's that modern-day example, somebody that lived during our lifetime, showing us how to love God by loving those around you. And today here on The Inner Life, we want to talk about that theological virtue of love, specifically charity, how we can love God above all 
and allow that love to flow out of us to everyone that we encounter. And joining us today is our spiritual director here on the program, helping us look at how we can encounter God himself as love, how we can share that love with others. Father Joseph Johnson is joining us for the hour. He's a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis and the pastor of Holy Family Catholic Church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. Father, so glad to have you back here on the program today. And uh, I, I, I have to imagine, just like about every other Catholic on the face of the earth, you're probably a pretty big fan of Mother Teresa. Yes, thanks, Josh. Good to be with you. Uh, I was smiling the whole time you were talking about Mother Teresa. I, I had the great privilege of meeting uh, Mother Teresa, uh, but only, only once, uh, but I had a very memorable, wonderful encounter with her. But then when I came uh, to my first assignment as a priest, I happened to find that one of my prisoners was Mother Teresa's best friend in the whole world. Oh, my. So I got more stories about Mother Teresa uh, than, than ever could have hoped for. Uh, so, indeed, she did become that face of, 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 of Christian charity, that face of, of the loving God that we believe in uh, to the whole world. Well, so now you've told us this. You've got to tell us. What's, what's one of the best <laughs> stories that you've heard about Mother Teresa? Oh, you know, uh, there's so many ways. You know, Mother Teresa has to be understood in in terms of a relationship with St. Therese, the little flower as well. You know, one theologian kind of described them as, as being two halves of the same vocation. You know, uh, Mother, uh, well, St. Therese was a contemplative who wanted to be a missionary, and Mother Teresa was a contemplative missionary. Uh, you know, and the, the, the way that they, they interact with uh, receiving God, uh, God's love for them, and then saying how to put it into practice in, in little ways, in everyday ways, in the ordinary things of life. You know, uh, Mother Teresa would say, I can't do great things, but I can do little things with great love. You know, and so you, you get those, that relationship with St. Therese in, in that little way. And, of course, that's why Mother Teresa took the name Teresa, was to honor uh, St. Therese. But some of the very wonderful little stories uh, that, that uh, I heard reveal a different side, the, the human side that, that you don't think about. You know, that uh, when, uh, you know, uh, Mother Teresa was actually the only place in the world uh, where she wouldn't stay at a convent, she would actually stay with this family. Because having left her own family in Albania at age 18, and never getting to visit her family again. She never saw, her, her father had already died, but she never saw her sister and her mother again during her life because of the communist regime in Albania. Uh, her brother had fled Albania, so she got to see him later, uh, but rarely. But this family here in Minneapolis became her adopted family, so she'd stay in their home. And they told me the story of, of once when, when the littlest child was still very, very young, they say, now, don't go and bother Mother Teresa in the morning. She's, she's saying her prayers. Uh, she'll come out to have breakfast with us when she's ready. But otherwise, and so this busy mom is, is making breakfast for the kiddos, and she looks, and one of the kids is missing. She's like, oh, I bet I know where he went. And, and she goes uh, to, to the staircase that goes up to Mother Teresa's room, and she saw the little boy lying on his tummy, just outside the door and the door was open and just inside the door mother Teresa was lying on her stomach and they both had like little matchbox cars uh you know with them or some little toy like that 
and, and as the mother is about to say something, Mother Jesus, you can't be mad at him. He told me that he wasn't allowed to come into my room, so I told him we would play here in the doorway. That is great. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just the ways that, that she would ennoble the simplest things like a child's play, and she would recognize the dignity of everyone, uh, and, and she would always give of, of herself. And isn't that really the quality of love that we, we need to, to focus on? You know, I tell my engaged couples that, that at any point in their marriage, if they want to understand, am I being loving right now? They simply have to ask, am I giving or taking? You know, because love has that beautiful quality of self-gift. And sin always has an aspect of selfishness to it. Uh, so it's, it's not always sinful when we take things, obviously. Uh, but sin itself always has that sense of taking. Uh, and love always has a sense, even when we're receiving something, but there's always a sense of me giving as well. Well, and as you're talking about that, you know, if if I'm taking where somebody hasn't offered, then that, I think, becomes a problem in that love. But if somebody is giving... And I accept if I receive it because they have freely offered it. I mean, we see that most perfectly expressed in the love of God through Christ. There's a difference between taking versus accepting or receiving. Exactly. That's exactly the distinction we need to keep in mind. Yes. You know, and, and to have that, that sense of how we can't give until we have first received. You know, the... Uh, the first letter of St. John in chapter 4 speaks so much uh, about uh, the God who is love and about how we're called to live in that love. But my, my favorite verse uh, in all of Scripture is 1 John 4.10. In this is love, not that we love God, but that God has loved us and sent his Son as the expiation for our sins. You know, so, so there it is. You know, so often we, we start on the wrong foot. I got to love God more. Let me squeeze that out of my heart. Got to love God more. Stop. You're, you're, you're starting on the wrong foot. I have to receive God's love. I have to wonder with gratitude and joy. I have to receive this gift of his love before then I can then love in return. And it becomes much easier, much more natural response to love in return. Once, once that love is poured out to me, it evokes for me a response of love. And that's, that's what we see in our relationship with, with God. And that's why when we're stuck in progress in the spiritual life and going, oh, I just got to do more, maybe I just need to stop and receive more. And then that will provide the spark for me to give more. Mm. Our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, today talking about love, about charity, how we can live out that love in our lives. And uh, Father, one of the things that might be good here before we have to take a short time out is talking about love in general. Um, we, we use that word love in so many different ways. It gets thrown around, bandied about, and uh, there are 
there are so many different areas we could go into. It might be good to just kind of define terms a little bit. Uh, You know, the kind of classical way of looking at love, we have three different Greek terms that we use that kind of categorize. Can you maybe walk us through those briefly and how those are unique, but also how they are all related because they are all aspects of love? Sure. You know, and the, and the first thing to think about is those ways that we use the word love in, in English. You know, I love pizza. I love this song. Right. I love my spouse. I love God. Well, okay, we use the same l- little four-letter word there for all of those sentences, but we actually mean different things. Or at least, I certainly hope you love your spouse in a different way than you love pizza. Right, uh, you know, so so to get first that acknowledgement that we need to make distinctions, we need to analyze what is it that is my relationship here. So the the Greek word eros is where we get the English word erotic. Now, as soon as you hear the word erotic, uh, often you think, oh dear, that's like pornography, that's bad, that's sensual, you know all this. And certainly, uh, there is in the concept of eros something that can be very selfish and and destructive and demeaning. And yet, uh, this is a a very, you know, we have to be cautious here because we can be puritanical, which is not Catholic, right? The Puritans are not, we're not Catholics, right? We we can be uh, somehow demeaning the beauty of human sexuality uh, when we just reject the word eros. Uh, Pope Benedict XVI, in his, in his beautiful uh, letter, Deus Caritas Est, spoke about this, that Christianity doesn't reject Eros, but it purifies it. You know, uh, that there is, in, even in Eros, something beautiful, uh, something that draws us towards, uh, towards, towards the divine, something that is of love in that. It is a form of love. It's, it's not uh, antithetical to love. Then the other word, Greek... Um, Philia is a Greek word, which is a love of friendship, right? Uh, and that's an important word in the New Testament, right? The, the scriptures don't use eros very often at all. Uh, philia is used by Jesus when he talks about his disciples. I call you my friends. So that's, that's, that's a loaded word. That's an important word. You know, we, we think about all these things in our spiritual life. Friendship, we might think, is just maybe something minor. No, no. If Jesus is defining his relationship with his disciples as friendship, that's got to be something pretty special. And what does it mean for us to think of ourselves not just obeying a bunch of rules from God, but seeking to deepen friendship with God? Friendship with Christ is what discipleship is about. Rather than God being a taskmaster, do that, don't do that. Friendship says something very different. It says, speaks of a loyalty, speaks of a wanting uh, to, to be together. And that's what all the forms of love have in common, is this love seeks union. You know, eros can seek the union of the bodies, uh, but there's something more to it that, that Christianity brings to it there. Philia brings this union of friendship. You, no one has to make you spend time with your best friend, right? You, you seek that, that time together, that union. And then agape is the third Greek word, 
And that is a selfless love. That's that gift love that we were talking about. And that's what, when we say God so loved the world that he gave us his only son, that Jesus so loved us that he gave up his life for us, we're talking about agape at that point. And when we're talking about how we're to love as Christians, uh, agape has got to be our goal as well. Yeah, that, that, that is the goal. And I think that's what we're probably going to spend the rest of this hour trying to talk about is how we can live out that selfless love. Uh, not an easy, not an easy task, not an easy goal, but that's what we're going for. How have you lived out that love in your life? How have you kept that second greatest commandment that Jesus tells us first and second, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind and loving your neighbor as yourself. And how has being that kind of a, a loving, charitable person helped you to grow in your faith? Our studio line is open for your call right now at 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Our email address is innerlife at relevantradio.com, and we'll continue our conversation with Father Joseph Johnson in just a moment here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Catholic Order of Foresters is proud to sponsor the Relevant Radio Studio Line. For information about employment opportunities and flexible premium life insurance plans, visit RelevantRadio.com slash Forrester. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life Spiritual Directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Welcome back. I'm Josh Raymond, along with our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis. Today, talking about love, that theological virtue, the greatest of all the virtues, and how we can live that out in our lives. How do you live that out in your life? The way that you love God above all things, the way that you love your neighbor is yourself. How has that shown itself? How have you grown in love for God? Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. And Father, uh, let's look at the catechism for a moment, because, and maybe even uh, before we look at anything specifically in the catechism, we have this virtue that we call love, and you talked about the different ways we use the word love, but the catechism primarily uses the word charity. And in our contemporary Western society, charity usually makes us think of giving to the poor, giving to those in need. It might be the uh, little red uh, basket that we see outside of the grocery stores and other uh, shopping centers around Christmas time for the Salvation Army. But that word charity, when we read through the catechism, especially in the section where it talks about the theological virtue of, of charity, it's used in a much broader sense. So can you kind of give us some understanding of what the church means when we use the word charity uh, versus the way that the world might kind of strip it down just to mean giving to the poor? Yes, thank you. It's starting just from that, that letter of Pope Benedict that I just referenced. It's called Deus Caritas Est, 
right? So, so God is love is how we 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 translate that. But, but it's not amor, which is another Latin word for for love, but caritas, this particular word for love that that the Pope uses, and that we usually uh, put into practice when we're talking about uh, the virtue of of love. We call it charity, but it's not the same thing as when we say, oh yeah, I'm going to give that to charity, that means that's some extra effort that helps somebody less. Uh, we have to broaden our understanding of charity. And, and it's not something, A, optional. Like we think, of it, okay, these are my obligations that I have to do, and then this I'll do out of charity. Right? We think of that as optional, something extra. No, no, no. Charity is the life of the Christian. Right, uh, and that's that's why Jesus said, you know, uh, love one another as I have loved you. You know that 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 the God who is love communicates His love to us, and that's what we are then to live is that love. So charity is the way that the church uses it as as a technical word to try and move it away from I love pizza, I love that movie, I love that song, right? The, but charity speaks of, of a divine reality, uh, the, the, the love of God, uh, the, the love that we give God, but the love that comes from God, the love that is God, the love of God that we share with one another, that we, we talk about as charity. Uh, so it's not something lesser, it's not something optional, uh, it is actually the very path to God, uh, and it is uh, what should be underlying every one of our actions, because again, the great commandment, to love God with your all, and love your neighbor. Uh, so, right. so that's that's there. Well, and that, that, when I was looking at the catechism this morning, the very first paragraph, as it talks about charity, about this love, this, this divine love that, that we aspire to, it's really that opening line. It says, charity is the theological virtue by which we love God above all things for his own sake, and our neighbor is ourselves for the love of God. It is essentially just echoing what Jesus has told us. What are the first two greatest commandments? We just hear that basically stated again there in the catechism as the opening to this entire section on charity, on love. Yes, that's, that's exactly it. This is the path of Christian life. Uh, this this word charity defines what our relationship should look like with God. It defines what our relationship should look like with our neighbor. And the, the word actually defines the reality of God. God is love. Deus caritas, charity est. God is love. God is charity. So, yes, not some little thing on the side. Right. Well, okay, so when we talk about this, that our goal is the life of the Christian, as you said, is to experience, is to live out this divine love. Now, easier said than done. What, <laughs> I'm going to guess, first steps first, there has to be time spent in prayer that that's going to be, we, we have to be, we have to have that relationship, that dialogue, that communication with God. Um, and that probably is why that has to be the greatest commandment. We have to love God with all of ourself before we can take out and share that love with anybody else that we might encounter. Yes, and, and there are a couple things you touched on there. First, in prayer, you know, we Catholics need to, to make sure that we don't fall into the danger of simply saying our prayers, 
right? Uh, they're beautiful prayers that we've inherited. There's the prayer that our Lord himself taught us. Uh, they're, they're wonderful, rich treasuries of prayers from the saints. But we have to interiorize what those words are saying when I pray. So I don't need to just say my prayers. I need to interiorize it. And what does interiorizing those sentiments and those words mean? It, it means conforming myself to, to receive the gift of love from, from Christ and, and then being ready to direct that love uh, towards the people that the Lord puts in my path. Uh, and that's, that's where our, our prayers and our actions should be seamless. You know, there, there should, and this is why St. Paul said, pray always, right? That, that I should be taking this love that I encounter in prayer and I should be bringing that with me and sharing it with everyone whom I meet. You know, and that's, that's the, the, the beauty of, of what the Christian life looks like. Uh, you know, is, that's what this, the Acts of the Apostles says. They were known, the, the followers of Christ were known by their love for one another. Uh, our, our living out of the commandment to love, this divine, you know, reality of charity, right? That's how we're recognizable. That's the witness we're supposed to give to the world. And that's what invites the world to discover the God who is love. You know, and that's, that's where there's a famous story from Mother Teresa. Now, you got me on her. You're going to have to bear with me. Oh, we'll suffer where, through, Father. Yeah. <laughs> you know, her sisters were, were, uh, ran one of the first AIDS hospices, right? Uh, and, and, you know, uh, the, back in the 1980s, you know, the doctors were very afraid of what this, this disease was. It wasn't understood. Da, da, da. So they're telling Mother Teresa and, and all of her sisters, okay, you have to wear a gown. You have to have, have masks and, and you have to have gloves and, you know, all of this. And, and Mother Teresa just kind of, you know, listens to them politely, right? But then the first patient was brought in and Mother Teresa just walked up to the person and hugged the person, right? And, and, and there was one of these patients that was in hospice and was dying. It was angry, angry, angry person had nowhere else to go, which is, is why he had ended up in Mother Teresa's hospice. Uh, and, and didn't want to hear anything about God, didn't want to hear anything about Jesus, would curse, would blaspheme, uh, would be violent uh, towards the sisters. And uh, the sisters were patient and gentle and loving. And, uh, and in the end, this man came around and he said, I want some of that. <laughs> you know, some of what? Whatever they have. That, that in, 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 in view of how angry and mean and, and blasphemous I've been, I've just gotten compassion and kindness and patience and forgiveness. What does that? What do they have inside of them that lets them live like that? I want that. And, and that is the way that this beautiful dying man was converted. Mm. I want some of that. And if you and I want to convert the world, the work of the new evangelization, uh, folks, you know, there are a lot of words out there. You know, we live in a society where we're inundated with words. You can, you know, the internet and, and even radio, you can find anything you want just pouring out towards you. How do you sort out things like the sports scores from the gospel of Jesus Christ? It's just more information thrown at people. How do we show them that, 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 that the, the sports scores are not of the same importance that, as, as the gospel? It's by how we live. 
we've got to put the gospel into action. Our lives have to be a living gospel. And especially where the church has been discredited for so many scandals over the past decades, the, the way that we're even going to get people to be willing to listen to anything we say is by the beauty of our example of living out love, in particular, the corporal and spiritual works of mercy. Mother Teresa brought more people to Christ than any theologian I know because she was a shining example of love. And that drew people. Love is beautiful, and it draws people. Well, and you know, as you're as you're telling this too, this wonderful story of Mother Teresa and her sisters, and it goes back to something you said earlier. It's not that we do it out of obligation; it's that we do it out of love. It's because we want to do it. You know, I mean, that's that's the same sort of thing. If you see uh, a couple who is, you know. Uh, they're, they've been newly dating or maybe newly married and that new husband and new wife, they want to do everything for the other person just to show their affection and their love and, you know, there's there's that honeymoon kind of phase and the other thing that really struck me as you were sharing that story too is in the catechism, it actually points out three different fruits that come out from practicing charity, from living out love in our lives. And those are joy and peace and mercy, which is exactly what you're communicating, that these sisters, they showed to this man who probably was miserable. And like you said, he wound up there because nobody else wanted to deal with him. These three are, I mean, that's so significant that that joy, that peace, and that merciful, you know, uh, I think of Jesus's words in the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You know, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Uh, you know, these are things that we get identified, as you're saying, we get recognized as children of God, as being merciful, we will be shown that mercy if we if we have these attributes in our own, and it all goes back. Those are the fruits of living out love. Yes, Mother Teresa used to say, "Joy is the net by which we catch souls for God." You know, but that joy proceeded from living that life of love. And when you talk about the beatitudes, that word beatitude. We, we have trouble translating it, but, but happiness, joy, and beatitude, and pleasure are all related words. You know, sometimes we think of, of beatitude as, as simply blessed or, or a blessing. Yes, but, but we're failing to realize that, that a blessing uh, carries with it this connotation of joy. And so each of, of those uh, beatitudes is a path to joy. And that joy is a reflection of that love of God dwelling within us. You know, and, and love pushes us to do all sorts of things. Like, you know, too many Christians, we think about God as this, as this general in the sky, you know, barking orders at his soldiers. Okay, God, yep, sure, all right, I'll, I'll do that. It's hard, it's tough. Okay, I'll do that. Instead of, you know, of someone being in love and saying, oh, is it raining? I didn't notice it was raining. I was, I was, I was going to do this for my beloved. I, I didn't even notice that it was 40 degrees below zero. I didn't even notice that, that I was bleeding or whatever it is. You know, we do all sorts of things and don't even count the cost because we're doing it for love. 
But if we're doing it out of sense of obligation, then it's heavy. It's heavy and burdensome. And I think way too many Christians have this sense of God being a divine taskmaster and discipleship is all about heavy burdens and it's about God restricting us from having fun. But we'll, we'll be miserable here on earth, but then he's promised us we'll have fun in heaven, right? No, it's not like that. And that's, that's why, you know, uh, we can have that sense of, you know, uh, as one of the great saints said, you know, the path to have, all the path to heaven is heaven, right? Because that divine life, that love of Christ is already dwelling within us, and it's already sparking joy, right? Not that Christ was yucking it up on the cross, no. And you and I, when we're suffering, we're not always going to be happy-go-lucky. But, but joy and suffering can coexist where pain and pleasure can't. And that's why we have to, just like we have to purify our understanding of the word charity, the word love, we, we have to start making distinctions and purifying our notion of, of beatitude, joy, happiness. Because when we talk to the world, we're going to disagree on everything. But what everyone does agree on, I want to be happy. Right. Now, we'll have a million, a billion different definitions of what happiness is, but the desire to be happy is common to all of humanity. And if we show them that the love of Christ is what produces the fruit of joy, that's our means of evangelization. I, okay, so I want to pick up on that you know, that idea of God, kind of the taskmaster in the sky that you talked about there, because I think there's another aspect to that. I I think that, uh, you know, yes, there can be that we, we have to get past that idea and be able to move to the point where God is love. But I think if we get to the point where, okay, I have, I've moved past that idea that God is, you know, maybe the, the man out to get me, but that he really is love there's this then sense of, I don't feel worthy of God's mercy and this perfect love. And I know how imperfect my love is to give back to him. We need to take a short time out, but let's pick that up on the other side, Father. And uh, I also want to invite any of our listeners to join in here as well as we're talking about how we can live out that love in our lives. How have you experienced that joy, that peace, that mercy, the fruits of love in the love that God has given to you and the way that you have been able to show that to others. Our studio line, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Email address, innerlife at relevantradio.com. And we'll be right back with more right after this here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome back to The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. Call in now to share your story with our Inner Life spiritual directors. 1-888-914-9149. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is The Inner Life on Relevant Radio. 
Okay, thanks so much for listening to The Inner Life today here on Relevant Radio. Hi, I'm Josh Raymond. And I want to tell you about something that is very special, very new that we're offering here. And it's a brand new book. Well, actually, it's not so much a brand new book because I think it was available before, but I think it's been re, I don't know, updated. And it's this book by Father Rocky. It's called Marriage Insurance, 12 Rules to Live By. Uh, the one thing that is absolutely new about it is it's available for free. You don't have to pay for it. You don't have to pay shipping. All you have to do is go online to our website and you'll see a big banner right there for the book. Or you can go on the Relevant Radio app and it's the first banner that'll pop up across the top of the screen on your mobile device there. And Father Rocky just after years and years of working with different couples, whether it's in marriage prep or marriage counseling, he ended up coming up with these 12 different rules. And he basically said that if you end up, he said, I, I wish I could kind of sell marriage insurance. You know, you get this policy, you pay, you know, $1,000 or you get, you know, whatever. And if you follow these 12 rules and your marriage falls apart, then we'll pay you out a million dollars. Because he he's so sure about these rules. Now, if you're already married, well, some of the rules might not apply to you, but there are several rules that will. So really encourage you to sign up, get the book. Like I say, it's absolutely free. Uh, just go to the website, click on the banner, go to the Relevant Radio app. You can click on the banner there, and we'll send it out to you. Uh, please keep it just one book per household. Um, don't try and sign up for five or ten and give them to friends. Tell your friends to sign up for their, <laughs> their own book. But again, RelevantRadio.com or the Relevant Radio app. Uh, today on the program, here. We're talking about love, talking about charity, living that out in our lives. And our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, a priest in the Archdiocese of St. Paul in Minneapolis, and our studio line, 888-914-9149. And Father, right before the break, you were kind of talking about God. Uh, a lot of us might view him as this kind of dictator or, you know, I, I, looking to kind of catch us when we do something wrong, kind of uh, God in the sky. And that we need to move past that and see that God truly is love, what St. John calls him. God is love, the, the letter that you've referenced there from uh, the Pope over and over, uh, that that is who he is, it is what he is. But then I said, you know, if we can get past that kind of original image of God being this, I'm, I'm going to catch you when you're doing something wrong, and we move past that and see that God is this perfect, wonderful, giving love, that he, he offers us everything. On the other side, then, we might say, I don't feel worthy of this mercy, of this love from a perfect God, and I know how imperfect my love is, I know how shallow it's going to be, and I'm called to something more. How do we, how do we then move past maybe that sense of unworthiness and just say, okay, I can rest comfortably and peacefully knowing that God just accepts me as I am, and he'll make up for whatever I'm lacking? That's a great question, and it really comes uh, to, to this sense of where we start you know, I have to understand myself as a child of God. That's who I am, made in his image and likeness. And, and that's where John Paul II has this beautiful, beautiful phrase. He said, man is not the sum of all of his failings, 
but rather the sum of the Father's love for him. You know, you and I tend to define ourselves. You know, what do I look like? Am I handsome or not? Am I pretty or not? Am I rich or poor? Am I smart or not so smart? Uh, You know, all of these things we define ourselves by, and so many of them we end up defining ourselves by our deficiencies, how I fall short in this area or that area or whatever, and then we say, oh, I'm I'm not worthy, right? Uh, Well, first of all, we have to understand the nature of gift, a gift is not the same as a trade or a barter, right? A gift is a gift. If it has strings attached to it, it's not a gift. And so God doesn't wait for us to deserve his love. He makes the love as a gift. He chooses to, to love us, not because he sees our worthiness, but simply because he has freedom and he has chosen, using his freedom, to love. And you and I, with our sins, we cannot coerce God not to love. Because he is free, and he has chosen. And he has seen every sin that every one of us will ever commit in our entire lives, and still he chose to send Jesus to suffer and die for us. He loves us no matter what. And be careful of false humility. All right? False humility. So first, we've got to make sure we understand gift. Second, false Oh, Oh, I'm not worthy of that. You know? Well, that's, that's because my pride is in the way. You see? It's sneaky, this pride. It, it can disguise itself as all sorts of things, even good things like humility. My pride is wounded you know, so often when you and I think we're repenting, we're not actually sorry that we've offended God. I've offended myself. I should be better than that. I should make that same stupid mistake again. I shouldn't have to go to confession this soon. I've offended my pride. That's not repentance. It's not humility. Humility is, ah, oh, Lord, here I am, poor and weak. It's stumbling along. And look, I fell again. But you still love me. So let's begin again. That's humility. And humility is receiving gifts. You know, we talk about the generosity of giving gifts. There's also a grace that's needed to receive gifts. And and the greatest gift, God's love for us, you and I need to be able to receive it, not having earned it, not having a right to it, not deserving it in any way, but just as a gift. And receiving a gift like that should prompt us to gratitude and I know we've been using a lot of Greek and Latin words, but I have to give another Greek word. The, the, the word for thanksgiving in Greek is Eucharist. So every time we come to Mass and we receive that great gift of Jesus' saving love, his very presence, his body, blood, soul, and divinity, it should be thanksgiving. Not, yep, I'm, I'm worthy of that. In fact, we make ourselves say, Lord, I am not worthy. Right? We say that every Mass right before Holy Communion. I am not worthy. It's a gift. It's a gift. Thank you, Lord, for this gift that I could never deserve, never earn. Thank you. Let me receive this gift. And then two things flowing from that back into our conversation about living uh, that law of love. Uh, First, 
St. Thomas Aquinas, we'll go back into Latin again for a moment, nemo dat quod non habet, no one gives what they don't have. If I don't receive charity, love, from God, how can I give that love on to others? If I don't realize that the love I receive from God is gentle and patient and forgiving, how then can I share with others a love that is gentle and patient and forgiving? And then Mother Teresa said, God cannot fill what is already full. And there, there, Josh, is where we come to Christian asceticism. That is, you and I need to clear out the stable. You and I have filled our hearts with clutter. And you and I, uh, by having all these worldly attachments... Have, are blocking God's love from filling us, right? So when we talk about Christian detachment, we're talking about removing those things that are inordinately placed in my, I have an inordinate love for the things of the world. I should love the world as a reflection of God, as his handiwork and creation, but an inordinate, a, a, a misprioritized, disordered attachment to those things, that's the problem. Because that's where I, I need to, to, to make space in my heart to receive God's love. Sometimes people look at St. Francis of Assisi, oh, he loved nature. No, he didn't. He loved God who created nature. He saw nature as the reflection of the glory of God. And so he embraced nature as another way of praising and embracing God. But he didn't love nature for itself. Mm. And that's going to be just like Mother Teresa. She didn't love other people for the sake of themselves. She loved them because they were God's sons and daughters. They were created yes, by yes. him in his image. And, and she used that great parable of judgment in the gospel. Whatsoever you do to me, you do to the least. Whatsoever you do the least of these, you do it to me. She said you can sum up the gospel in five fingers. You did it to me, right? And so she would tell her sisters, see Jesus in this other person. That's what we're going to do. See Jesus in this other person. And sometimes she said it's not easy. She said the distressing disguise that Jesus sometimes wears. You and I faced with somebody unpleasant. Okay, Jesus, you're in there too. I know you're in there. You're wearing a very distressing disguise right now, but I need to, to do something for you in that person. That right. person's still made in your image and likeness. And and. And I need to treat that person as if that person were you, yourself, standing in front of me. Our spiritual director, Father Joseph Johnson, today. And Father, uh, as is so often the case here on the program, <laughs> we've just barely scratched the surface of so much that we could talk about on this. So I hope we can have you back and revisit this topic again in the future. Um, as we are down to about our last 30 seconds here, could I ask you to offer all of our listeners a blessing as we conclude the program today? May the peace of Christ fill all of your hearts. May you always live in love with God and one another. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, Father. 
If you missed any part of the program, of course, the podcast will be available at RelevantRadio.com or on the Relevant Radio app in just a little bit here. And I want to encourage you to join us tomorrow. Father Serby is going to be our spiritual director. We're going to talk about anxiety. How can you let go of that anxiety and have that trust in God? Of course, I want to say thank you to our producers here, Nick Sentovich, Jim Shaper. We've got Mass coming up next in about 30 seconds here. Father Luke Ferris, the celebrant. Look forward to seeing you back here on The Inner Life tomorrow. Have a blessed afternoon.